Hi, everyone, and welcome to the May 3rd edition of Macro Minutes, which is ironically episode 5 in our series and is aptly called Central Bank Strike Back. The movie was released in 1980, and that time period has parallels to now. Bond markets and inflation uncertainty is behaving very similar to that period when Volcker started raising rates at all costs to control inflation. For monetary policy, high and volatile inflation is the dark side of the force, and low and stable inflation is the light side. And nobody wants to go back to the 1970s, early 80s style of inflation. And as such, the battle's on. Uh, Some policymakers have taken aggressive action already to fight inflation, such as the Bank of Canada taking the unusual step of raising rates 50 basis points a few weeks ago, which is expected to be followed up by the Fed hiking 50 basis points this week. And overnight, the RBA hiked more than the market expected, and for the first time since 2010. Markets are pricing more action from the Bank of England and even for the ECB to tighten in the second half of this year. So against this backdrop of faster and more aggressive uh, policy tightening, we have a full slate of experts on the call today to help us navigate the fixed income, currency, and credit markets. Tom's going to tell us about what the Fed's going to do on interest rates this week and going forward. Blake's going to talk about the impact of the Fed on the Treasury market. Peter's going to tell us if central banks in the UK and Europe are going to be able or willing to match what's priced into markets. I'm going to talk about bond market volatility. Su Lin will recap the RBA and the outlook going forward. Daria will discuss recent EMFX sell-off and central bank policy developments. And Adam from Credit Trading will help shed light on why credit spreads are widening and if that can continue. So to begin, I'll pass it over to Tom on the Fed. Thanks, Jason, and good morning, everyone. Um, so, look, from our perspective, uh, obviously a 50 basis point hike uh, is is going to happen uh, at uh, uh, tomorrow's announcement. Um, you know, there, there's been a lot of discussion about how um, Powell has, you know, sort of continued to out-hawk himself. I think you have to understand why that is um, and, and why it's reasonable to expect that he could do the very, that very thing again tomorrow. Um, you know, he's trying to build in this, this, this wave of tightening. And f- from this point onward, the moment he relents um, is the moment that you could actually potentially see an easing in financial conditions, which is exactly what he does not want to happen. So, so how could he outhawk himself? Uh, I mean, look, he's, he's clearly going to lend credence to the idea of, you know, so, something along the lines of, you know, additional you know, multiple 50 uh, basis point hikes uh, that that await us. Um, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if he even sort of, you know, sort of lends a little bit of credence to the notion of of even a a potential 75. Again, I I don't think that's necessarily the direction that he wants to go. Um, But but he he cannot relent on the hawkish um, rhetoric uh, um, because he'll undo a lot of uh, what has already been done, which is to say they want a tightening. Um, of, of financial conditions, and, and I think that's that, that's a really important idea to take into um, to to tomorrow's meeting. Um, I think that um, you know one of the things that um, one of the things that you know, we've been we've been talking about. We just wrote about this last week. Um, is you know I think at some point Powell's going to have to start to flag what he's really looking for on on inflation. No, no one really knows um, because. Here's one of the things that you have to keep in mind. If if you think about last year, when you know he basically he was on a he was on a mission to get to max employment, um, and he did. Um, you know even with inflationary pressures building around him. If now this year 
he's on a mission to get to Target, then, then funds are not going to hold a three-handle. Um, funds are going to hold a four- or five-handle. Um, and, and that's the reality. And look, you're speaking to someone who has uh, sort of a, you know, a, a, um, inflation falling probably by, by more than, than a lot of other folks uh, ex- uh, expect, um, or slowing, rather. Um, I, I, I don't even have inflation getting close to, to 2%. So I, I think we need some clarity on, on what his comfort level is. And I, and I would expect that um, there will be at least one or two uh, folks in the audience that, that ask him that question, um, because I think that's the, so really, at this point, the outstanding question from a macro perspective. Um, that's it for me. Okay, great. Uh, thanks, Tom. Now over to Blake on what uh, the Fed means for the Treasury market. Yeah, just kind of following on that and what this is going to mean for uh, markets, what's likely to move pricing uh, without dots and, um, you know, with the fact that Powell is very unlikely to talk specifics on terminal rate and how restrictive it may need to get in the future. I think probably the most likely hawkish delivery for markets is going to be uh, his discussion around a 75 point hike. Um, you know, my view is is that he's very likely to leave the door open to 75, say something like all options are on the table, emphasize data dependence and an urgency to get back to neutral. Um, and, and I don't think it's going to take much, um, you know, for, for, for Marcus to really kind of take a hawkish interpretation of that. Um, you know, Powell thus far has been very adamant to, to refuse taking options, policy options off the table. Um, so, you know, I really don't see him kind of closing the door more forcefully in a way that would, um, you know, get markets kind of pricing out um, that 75 basis point risk or, or keep them from even pricing that further uh, post-meeting. Um, you know, somewhat similarly to January meeting, um, you know, this, this is – the, the setup here is um, looking kind of like that meeting where Powell refused to close the door on the 50 um, and, you know, said multiple times that wasn't really a space case, but the fact that he didn't close that door, markets kind of took it and ran with it. And, um, you know, of course, here we are two months later with 50s priced into essentially, you know, kind of the next four meetings. So, um, you know, I think markets could be thinking that a, a similar kind of progression, a similar evolution is on, on tap for 75 basis point hikes. So um, that's probably where, uh, um, you know, where we're going to get most of the market reaction. I think if, um, you know, if we kind of do start to run with that 75 basis point theme out of the meeting, um, you know, we probably see renewed pressure on the Fed term path, the terminal pricing moving closer, moving higher, 2023, 2024, inverting further, and, and probably a broader curve flattening. Um, you know, turning from the FOMC, I uh, uh, wanted to note that we also have to refunding uh, uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, I expect Treasury to continue cutting coupon supply, $1 billion cuts to two-, three-, and five-year issuance, $2 billion cuts to sevens, $2 billion cuts to tens and thirties, $3 billion cuts to twenties, and $1 billion cut to FRNs. Um, you know, this is basically being done to clear out room for bill supply. Um, you know, it's, it's actually a little bit bigger uh, cuts than what the Treasury Borrowing Advisory Committee had recommended back, um, you know, back in February. But I think, you know, it's very necessary given where, um, you know, given some of the current strains we're seeing in bill markets. Um, and this also continues the process of kind of right-sizing 7 and 20 issuances. Um, as I said, this is, you know, a, a bigger cut uh, to supply than TBAC had recommended back in February. But, um, you know, notably back in February, overnight RRP was $2 smaller. Three-month bills were 20 basis points cheaper to OIS, and three-month five-year curve was 60 basis points flatter. So, you know, the conditions around, um, you know, Treasury's preference for issuing bills versus issuing, you know, further out the curve and terming out that debt has really shifted over that time, and, and I think shifted in a way that favors 
more bill issuance and cutting uh, longer dated issuance. Big takeaway here is that you know the Fed's QT program, um, which you know Treasury now has to take into account, uh, is unlikely to drive a ramp up in the pace of U.S. Treasury issuance at any point in the near future. I emphasize pace because um, you know we still will be uh, seeing net positive supply, but at the pace with which the markets have to absorb that is slowing down. Um, you know the, the the QT program has basically been pre-funded by the current auction calendar, and um, it really takes away the, the need for cuts that Treasury might have. Uh, needed to make in the future, but uh, does really nothing uh, to, to reverse the slowdown in issuance that we're likely to see over the remainder of this year. Uh, and that's it for me. Okay, great stuff, Blake. Today I want to discuss the exceptionally high level of volatility in government bonds with specific reference uh, to the U.S. This is a hugely important topic uh, because uh, high volatility uh, is important for investment implications for dedicated and multi-asset class investors alike. Um, so what's currently happening in the volatility space? Well, you know, rates vol is very high. It's at the 87th and 75th uh, percentile back to 1990 and 1980, uh, respectively. And aside from, you know, the absolute level of vol being high, uh, what's particularly noteworthy is that high and rising volatility in the tightening cycle is very unusual compared to the experience of the past uh, 20 years. Um, if you consider that in the past uh, two Fed tightening cycles, uh, rates vol fell uh, quite substantially. It hasn't uh, been since the tightening cycles in the early 1980s that we've seen volatility uh, increase meaningfully in a tightening cycle. So that lends the question, why is bond market volatility behaving more like the early 1980s than the past uh, 20 to 30 years? And in my opinion, it's mostly a function of the high level of uncertainty regarding macro, um, inflation uh, specifically, and even growth, and policy rates, the speed and uh, terminal values. <clears throat> so <clears throat> in the three cycles since uh, 1999, inflation was lower and more stable than today, and markets were better able to understand the near-term inflation trajectory and uh, central bank policy outcomes. But in this cycle, market participants are uh, pretty confused, and this is leading to a wide range of expectations by analysts and investors. And this elevated uncertainty that's readily evident in the dispersion of consensus forecasts. So if you look at the Philly Fed uh, professional forecaster survey uh, for CPI over the next one, two, and three quarters, um, the two-quarter ahead dispersion in forecasts is 1.6 percentage points. Um, the last time we even came close to these levels was in 2008 and 1990, and the only time since the survey started that inflation uncertainty was higher was in 1981. Um, so from my lens, it's clear that uh, high inflation uncertainty is leading to high bond market volatility. And this is consistent with what we saw in the early 1980s when uh, Volcker was tightening at all costs to rein in inflation. Um, so then the question is, when will it fall? Can it fall? And that's really all dependent on the inflation outlook and policy outlook. And given that inflation uncertainty uh, should remain high for the next few months, um, I would continue to buckle up for a wild ride in the bond market. But if inflation does peak soon and starts to ease in the second half of the year, as many people expect, then volatility should fall uh, quite substantially. With that, uh, over to Peter in Europe. So I would like to talk about two things. First of all, very specifically about the Bank of England, which is going to meet on Thursday, and then more broadly about the theme of a growth slowdown that the central banks are going to hike into um, in Europe in general. So on Thursday, when the Bank of England meets, um, they almost certainly are going to hike rates again by 25 basis points, which brings them to 1%, which is the highest rate that we've seen for over 10 years. 
Now, um, we expect a 8-1 uh, vote, uh, so it's probably going to be one dissenter, uh, but that shouldn't really take away the messaging. Now, um, the question is also what are they going to do going forward? Uh, we have just changed our call. We think in the next two meetings they will probably also hike. That would bring them then to 150. The more important question in my mind is what are they going to do with the announcements as regards QT? There's two that are pending. Um, one, they have promised after three months, um, after the last announcement, that they're going to give us details as far as the active QT program on credit is concerned, so that we should be getting some more details here. And secondly, um, as they cross the 1% threshold, they have previously guided the market that this would also be a threshold where they would start contemplating an active QT program for their government bond holdings, for the guilt holdings. Now, we don't. Uh, we stress that this is not the same automatism that was there when we crossed the 50 basis point threshold and they moved to passive QT. But what we do expect is that they uh, probably launch a consultation process with the market about how to do that at some point in the future, which we reckon would then be at a later stage this year. So these are the three key elements, the rates themselves, and the credit program, and then as well as any guidance on the active QT program. Now, more broadly in the market, um, what we're seeing over here in Europe, we're seeing early indicators of a potentially quite significant growth slowdown coming through. The data that has been released um, uh, last week was weaker in terms of growth, higher in terms of inflation than the market was expecting. Leading indicators for consumption in the UK, for consumption in Germany, for, um, for, for production as well, new order indices are coming down quite drastically. And it seems very, very likely to us that in Q2, in Q3, we're seeing a significant slowdown we're not yet forecasting a um, recession, but it's probably going to feel like one. Now, the wrinkle is that the central banks are going to hike into it anyway, as I was just alluding to uh, for the Bank of England. And uh, it seems to be with these high inflation levels and high inflation expectations that the, bank, that the ECB will also not retrace their course. Now, what we think that means is for nominal bond deals, it's very difficult to see the same kind of rally, uh, but potentially see a stabilization. If anything, uh, we think the money market strip is probably going to flatten a bit, so we recommend um, uh, deck 22-23 Uribo flattener. Uh, we also think the most important impact is probably going to be felt outside of the rates market in the credit market, which we think is probably going to stay under pressure. And if you want to be uh, sort of uh, on the long side of the market, we recommend that you do this through options rather than uh, through outright. And we have looked at the ways to do this, and one of the ways that we think is, is probably safe enough is a one-by-one -one call spread. Maybe on bond futures, you can do that. Uh, you could also do it in the swap market if you want. A little bit out of the money should give you a relatively good risk reward. And with that, I'll leave it. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Peter. Always insightful. Um, to complete the Around the World tour, we'll now go to Sue Lin to provide views on Australia after the uh, RBA uh, rate hike. Hi, everyone. So it was a pretty busy and fun day post the RBA today. Jason, as you uh, noted, RBA did hike rates a bit more than market expected, plus 25 basis points, first move since 2010. Um, we had been looking for 15 basis points, given their very reluctant nature, but we thought that, you know, the case for 40 even was um, pretty strong, given some of the recent developments. They've opted for 25, and interestingly, in the governor's 
press conference, 25 basis points seems to be their preferred um, quantum of moves. It's, it's kind of the moves, the size that they've done before. So kind of signalling that that would be um, their preferred uh, hiking um, amount going forward. I think the case for rate hikes have been building for some time in Australia, but it was really the inflation numbers last week that sealed the case. It was part of the reason we brought forward slightly from June to May lift off and lift off they did today. There was probably, from our perspective, three um, interesting takeaways from the statement as well as the governor's press conference. Um, all erred hawkish in our view and signalled um, multiple hikes in the months ahead. The first was their big upward revisions to their inflation forecasts um, and a, a real um, admission from them that they have been very surprised by how um, far and quickly inflation has moved. Um, core that sits at 3.5% is heading higher. They've revised up by nearly two percentage points. Um, inflation doesn't get back into the 2 to 3% target range um, until the end of their forecast period in mid-24 and only just at 3%. The Governor, I think, secondly talked a lot about um, a strong labour market revised down their unemployment rate forecast uh, to um, what looks to be well below Nairu, 3.5% late this year, early next year. And he also talked in the press conference a lot about 2.5% cash being a more normal rate of um, cash and um, a desire to get there. So I think when we look at those three takeouts against that global central banking backdrop that you've talked about, um, Peter, as well, you know, the kind of bringing forward and small additions to the Bank of England. We're seeing it right across the board and, and obviously the Fed makes sense to us that the RBA would also front load and we've brought forward some of our 23 hikes into 2022. So we think there's good reason to expect the bank to be hiking pretty much at every meeting in 25-point quantums from here till uh, close to year end. We've got cash now terminal up at 185 could end up a bit higher than that, but we're reasonably comfortable there. Markets, I suspect, will continue to price in much higher um, than that and um, will, you know, obviously heavily influenced by that global backdrop. We're not game enough to step in anymore and, and you know, keep trying to receive front end, even though it does look to us still very elevated um, where market pricing is. We continue to have more success on the cross-market front. Um, the two-year, two-year Aussie US trade that we entered about a week ago has actually held in really well today. It's, it's actually marginally um, tighter uh, even though we have seen a pretty decent sell-off um, right across the curve uh, in Australia um, and some underperformance in other parts. So um, it's still very much premised on our view that um, terminal will end up lower um, than where Fed, the Fed will. That's it from me. Okay, great. Thanks, uh, Shulin. Over to, to um, Daria on the EM side. Thank you, Jason. Hi, everyone. Um, so there's a couple of things that I want to flag from my end for emerging markets effects. Uh, the first theme that we've seen playing out this quarter so far is this idea that EMFX has been selling off against the dollar across the board. And what I think is interesting about this current sell-off is that it seems that there's a higher sensitivity right now than what was the case back in the first quarter, uh, sensitivity to the external backdrop for emerging markets in general. And if we go back to the first quarter and we look at the environment, U.S. financial conditions were tightening, uh, the dollar was stronger on a net basis, and the Russia-Ukraine situation was posing a risk for EM. And despite all this, those factors considered, um, EMFX as a whole was able to perform relatively well in the currencies that you would typically expect to be more sensitive to that kind of environment. Uh, they still outperformed the market. 
And I think the big question here is what has changed between the first quarter and the second quarter. And I think from an EMFX perspective, I think the big change here has been this rising concern in the market about China's growth slowdown. And I think whether or not EMFX is able to rebound from current levels or if EMFX continues to sell off, I think a key uh, portion of that will depend on what, how well uh, China manages the downside risks to growth. And for example, uh, the question is, are they going to try to depreciate their currency to support growth in China? And if the answer to that question is yes, then from a broader EM perspective, I think the question is going to be, is that depreciation in the local currency going to be orderly and not excessive? If that's the case, then in that kind of scenario, I think that EM can probably do well, um, do okay. But if we have the opposite scenario where it is disorderly and it is uh, large depreciation in the local currency, then it's not going to be a very good outlook for emerging markets in general. From a trade idea perspective, in the current environment, when we start looking at Latin America and Senia, we think that given all of these risks considered, you have the China risk, some idiosyncratic stories playing out, and also questions about Fed rate hikes. I think in that kind of environment, we've, um, we've, been, uh, we've been thinking that Brazil is in a better position to navigate this kind of environment. And then the other thing that I also want to touch upon is also rate policy direction. And I think what's different from what we've seen in developed markets right now is the central banks in Latin America and CEMIA, they have already hiked rates very aggressively since last year. And for some of those central banks, we're starting to reach uh, levels where the market is starting to ask the question is, are we close to the end of the hiking cycle? And for example, uh, this week we have four central bank meetings happening in emerging markets. And for three out of those four central banks, uh, there is going to be the question of we are seeing some signs of those central banks starting to uh, slow down the pace of their tightening and starting to tone down some of their hawkish uh, tone. And I think that this is a question that the market will be asking as we head into the second half of the year. And the last thing I will mention from a relative value perspective in terms of rate policy direction, what we're watching in the medium term is the potential for some divergence to happen in Poland versus Czech Republic, so the idea that uh, Czech Republic is likely to start cutting rates before Poland uh, will in the medium term. And that's it for my end. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, last but not least, uh, we got Adam Jones uh, going to talk about uh, the credit market, which um, at least I'm particularly interested in understanding, you know, what's going on, uh, why spreads been widening, what can happen going forward, uh, because, you know, as we know, um, central banks raise rates, something tends to break in the world, and credit tends to be, you know, a, a very much a leading indicator in that type of um, a scenario. So over to you, Adam. Uh, good morning. Yeah. Um, look, I'll start by saying, look, credit's very much been a follower asset. Um, you know, we have not really had a credit story to trade uh, this year. We're very much following the broader macro narrative and taking our cues from, from equities and from rates. Um, liquidity conditions have been particularly bad. The, the most common complaint that we get from clients is about the, the illiquid nature of the asset class at the moment. Um, spreads are moving around more on a daily basis in things like LQD than we've seen historically. Uh, it generally you know, makes things not feel that great. Um, there is a broad bearishness across account bases. Um, you know, there was a, a story the other day about one large real money account running a cash balance in the sort of 10 to 12 percent region, which is very large for, for a credit fund. Um, 
But this is all, you know, sentiment. We, you know, at the end of the day, we do not have a credit problem right now. Um, you know, corporates use the last few years of low rates to term out debt, especially in IG. Um, you know, runways are very long, and so there's no immediate credit catalyst. However, there is just this overwhelming fear that, you know, credit doesn't like recessions, and when we see the Fed moving this aggressively, the fear is if they tip too far, that, that it would go that way, and that's really the concern. Um, there's definitely a preference for higher quality credit over lower. In IG, that manifests itself as, you know, triple Bs underperforming versus the A-rated credit. Uh, that's been a theme and hasn't changed. Um, it's also worth noting there are regional differences. Europe has, has got very different dynamics to the U.S. because the ECB had a direct corporate bond purchase program in place. And so their impact on the credit market has been far more direct. And as that ends, it's going to lend itself to, to uh, the potential for far more explosive moves in Europe uh, versus in the U.S. where the Fed barely had to buy a corporate bond. Uh, the market basically took care of itself uh, through the COVID response. Um, the other thing I'd mention, you know, credit isn't just corporate credit, and munis and mortgages have also had massive moves, and increasingly we're hearing people look at those as reasons to be concerned about about U.S. credit. Uh, so broadly, I would say, look, the, the the drift wider probably does continue, but I think positioning more than anything is going to dictate the short-term moves. And right now, it feels to me like it's very hard to find a bull, uh, which probably means, you know, that, that we could get a move in just because that's that's perhaps the most painful thing that could happen. Okay, great. Um, thank you very much. Thank you for joining us today here on Macro Minutes. We'd like to thank you for tuning in. I'm Jason Daw, and I look forward to seeing you next time. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.